Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network. I just want to let you know that our sponsor, Harry Tarantula, is looking for people who do comics in Canada for signings, events, and Q&As. So if you do a comic, they want to hear from you. They're located at 6979 Young Street, and you can give them a call at 647-430-1263. We're looking for people like our past guests, Ramon Perez, Marcus Toe, Kelman Andrasovsky, Ricky Lima, Megan Carter, Hope Nicholson. If you do a comic, they want you. Email them at us at harryt.com or call them again at 647-430-1263 and ask for Leon or Jeremy and tell them Aaron sent you. You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hey, fanboys and fangirls. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. We're on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com. We're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast needs met. We have the Read More Comics crew. These are guys that take their inspiration from the underground comic scene. Legends like Robert Crumb, uh, Art Spiegelman, all these uh, different uh, type of guys. Those are the that's the kind of the style of comic uh, that they do. Uh, they are three guys. There's uh, James Spencer, David Craig. And there's Rob Mursky. Uh, I'm really happy to have them in because they all met at the Toronto Comic Jam. So if you've never heard of the Toronto Comic Jam or you've only been there a few times, we're going to get into that and what that is for the city of Toronto as well. So welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Uh, You're so welcome. Thanks for coming in. I really uh, had a chance to go over your comics and see them. And I, I really love like the underground vibe it's like the merry pranksters it's it's pretty it's pretty awesome so um i guess the first thing that we usually do uh at the podcast is i sort of ask you uh you know where were you born and what your growing up life was like so i'm gonna go uh in order uh james uh what was your childhood like Like, how did you get into comics where are you originally from so i'm from a small town outside of kitchener grew up in uh kind of like a rural suburban area and I just used drawing to escape the boredom of that experience. What was the suburb called? My girlfriend's actually from Kitchener. So oh, I it's called Baden. Okay, cool, cool. I don't know. I think it was around when I was about 14, I discovered a book called Understanding Comics. Oh, Scott McCloud, yes. the Bible of... Uh... <laughs> well, we're, we're of divided opinions on the subject. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> what, what do you think of it? I love it. Um, and I kind of reading it, I've kind of had 
the experience of thinking like, oh no, like, am I going to become like a comics person? Like, this is starting to like sway me over to like the idea that like comics is a really like interesting art form that has like a lot of potential that other art forms don't have. And I don't know, then it just kind of like, oh, became something that I just got more and more interested in. But when you say we have divided opinions, do you mean like you and me or do you mean you, no. you and all the rest <laughs> of the guys from Read More Comics? <laughs> I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth. Okay, okay, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that, I guess. <laughs> all right. So, uh, so David, yeah. same question. Uh, where are you from? How did uh, you find uh, comics originally? Uh, hometown, London, Ontario. Comics originally came to me from the newspapers. Uh, the Far Side was a huge influence for me. I had an affinity for single panel comics, and that's kind of what I started doing. Um, definitely uh, telling jokes, single panels. Uh, my attention span would quickly disappear after one panel, so I just moved on to the next one. So The Far Side. How I was introduced to The Far Side was in an like orthopedic uh, splint office or some sort of doctor's office yeah. usually is that how you got into the far side uh, from the newspapers but i know what you mean it's a classic like waiting room book it is you know, totally. absolutely yeah. and given that like we were talking before that you're a dentist i, I thought maybe you were like scoping out waiting rooms for like the good the good content <laughs> that, that could be buried layers underneath my my conscious mind okay. potentially yeah cool cool so rob mm-hmm. uh the second b is silent uh where where, where where are you where are you from uh born in toronto uh just raised in the suburbs just uh, just north of the city in richmond hill um i discovered comics probably through the newspaper as a kid and i always wanted to make them i submitted comics at like eight years old to the toronto star that you know they didn't pick up for you know whatever reason wow. <laughs> at an eight-year-old didn't spell anything right, but that's fine. Um, and I just, I've always loved comics. I looked through my sketchbooks from when I was a little kid and I was making comics without ever really realizing it. It's just sort of a subconscious thing. So nice. And like, how old are you? I'm 35 now. I asked because like discovering comics with a newspaper, I feel like we all kind of discover comics from the newspaper, but we don't really acknowledge that that's where like comics first showed up for a lot of us. Yeah. So like for you to like go through uh, the strips as like your real entree and for you to acknowledge that and then want to like create a strip for the Toronto star. That's like a really like old school uh, way of doing it. Right. Like usually you hear about people like Hal Foster and like Will Eisner, uh, you know, the founders of the mm-hmm. medium being introduced through strips but it's nice to see that like you know somebody who's a little bit younger is is still like hey i want to do like comic strips first yeah i don't know if it really translates these days to the kids growing up but i mean i hope so because you know it's it's important stuff well they caught you yeah and and it was always the most entertaining part of the of the newspaper that's (laughs) awesome especially on sundays yeah right (laughs) (laughs) totally so um how did you guys like were you all working on like individual projects on your own prior to meeting and if you were can you can you tell me about them well me and dave actually met when i was working at the liquor store because he was wearing a chester brown t-shirt okay and so we started talking and then i told him that he should come to the toronto comic jam mainly because i didn't have any friends at the toronto comic jam because i was really introverted and shy and so i brought him and we started going and hanging out and kicking it off and then we found james and 
It's one of those classic kind of cool shirt. Let's be friends. Yeah. I draw comics. So do I. And were you paying for your liquor at, like, at the time? Like, was it at the checkout counter? You're like, hey. Uh, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Basically. Yeah. And you're like, whoa. Like, Yeah. Well, you know, when you see someone with a Chester Brown t-shirt, you know he's got taste. Yeah. So. Do you remember what he bought? Uh, uh, probably some IPAs. Beer. Yeah. Lots of beer. <laughs> nice. Nice. I guess we have to get into the Toronto Comic Jam because you guys found uh, James there. Mm-hmm. What is the Toronto Comic Jam? Do you know a little bit about the history of it? How did you find out about the Toronto Comic Jam and why did you want to go in the first place? I can't even remember how I found out about it in the first place. I know that the first time I went was like 2009 when I was still in university. The first time you went? Yeah, the first time that I went. Okay. And and then we just, uh, this past year, we, we had the 20th anniversary of the Toronto Comic Jam. So that's what, I mean, it's been going on since uh, 1997, I guess. 96. 96. Somewhere in there. Wow. It's an institution. It's, yeah. It's really amazing. And so many interesting people have come through it. And, and I wish I could pull the names of uh, the guys who uh, started it. Dave, Dave Howard. Dave Howard, was, yeah. Dave Howard the King. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, how does this work? Like, if I want to go to the Toronto Comics Jam, mm-hmm. like, how do I discover it? I don't, like, I don't really see signs around the city or anything like it's that. It's in the back room of the Cameron House, the okay. last Tuesday of every month, except for December. And you just show up with uh, your pens, and they provide paper. And you go, and there's just this, there's a stage and tons of paper all over the stage. And there's all these half-started comics, and you just grab a, pa- a piece of paper, and you just make the next panel. Ah. And then you go on to the next one. So, is the whole page of your paper, does that serve as the panel? Or no, do, do no. you just make the, co- like, you find a paper with a, something on it, like a yeah. panel on it. Like, I'll just and draw, like, a it. box in the top corner, and then the next person will go from there. I see. see. You go until it's full. Sorry. Feel free to start a new page, too. You know, there's this total freedom. You could draw the last panel if you wanted to. It's just a free-for-all. And what's available every month is the book that's compiled from the month before. I feel like if you drew the last panel before anyone else, like, you'd be a bit of a control freak. Like, guys, this is the last panel. Nobody draw anything. Like, this is the last panel. Just letting you know. No, you got to draw the second last panel now. You got to work backwards. I know. I know. No one touches that page. Yeah, it's experimental comics yeah, that it's it doesn't happen. Yeah, don't draw beyond this panel. <laughs> there are some people like that. But, you know, there's all kinds of people there. It's, anyone can go. Any any sort of background talent. You know, it's you don't have to know how to draw. You can do, you know, it's a good social activity. Is it advertised? Really not much. It has a, a Facebook page, which is how I... Yeah. Social media. And I think there's a, a lot bit. of word of mouth. There must be ads yeah. in, like, Now Magazine, or at least, like, <laughs> mentions in the uh, events or something. Because I always see people oh, yeah. coming in and say, like, oh, I heard about this. Well, oh, I remember when I first found out about it, it was probably in the early 2000s. I was at the Beguiling and saw this poster. It was, like, a comic. It was an advertisement for the Toronto Comic Jam. And I was like, wow, that's probably so cool. Like, I want to go to that. And it took me 10 years uh, just to, like, get the the strength and the courage to, like, go to a random bar by myself and, like, just put myself in there. So you knew about it for a long time, but you were like, one day I'm going to do this. Yeah, one one day day I'm going to do this. One day. (laughs) And then then you finally actually did. Finally. That's cool. And then how how did the rest of you discover it? So uh, as Rob mentioned, it it was from Rob. And I think it took Rob planting a few 
QC. He's like, Dave, you got to come to Jam. Come to the Jam. It took a few months before I built up the courage to go check it out. And then I just basically went every month for like two years in a row. Didn't miss a single one. It was so much fun. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And James, did you just find out about it independently? or I don't know. It might have been somebody else at school who mentioned it or something. But And I had gone like on and off. But there were um, somebody who's putting, so uh, it was David Bragdon putting together the books of the comic jam. He started doing uh, features on different artists who go to the jam that just had like a really great effect on uh, the community there. I felt like people started to like interact more and get to know each other's work a little bit better. So, right. Because I guess prior to that, you could go to the jam, you add your panel and you're like, all right, I'm out. Like whatever and then now it's sort of more familial i guess yeah for me originally like when i first started going it wasn't a very social experience i was kind of intimidated about talking to other people there so it was kind of like yeah go there draw your stuff maybe say hi to some people and then go home yeah but uh now it's uh almost too far in the other direction where we're just like hanging out for with the first like a little eight bit months, of i think i drew a page worth of panels every single time just because i didn't want to talk to anybody i would just like drink beer and just draw and now when i go I'm lucky to get one to two panels done because I'm too busy socializing. Oh, so. <laughs> nice, nice. I guess maybe that was part of the plan. Um, yeah. How long do you have to draw your panels? Like, like how long is the event usually? It runs from like seven o'clock till like one, I want to say. Like uh, one guy uh, will sort of arrive, set it up, and then someone else is the closer. Takes all the pages home. Has to be the last man standing, last person standing. Yeah, so it's till they, get, till they get kicked so. out of the bar. So when, when are the books put together? Like who decides, okay, this is going to be a book, you know, how long the book is. And like, do they have to track down those closers who took the page? Closer makes the book. As far as I know, Dalton, I think has been doing it lately. And, uh, James mentioned, uh, David Bragdon. And I think like, uh, every, like a champion emerges to pick up the comic jam, hold it on their shoulders and print the books. Cause it's a lot of thankless work. Right. And, And then you get the book, uh, part of the fun is like a arriving every month and seeing the book and you get to flip through and just see what you were involved with, what you weren't. Oh, so at the end of the session yeah. for the month, that becomes a book. The next month. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's All the pages oh, okay. do. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it's actually pretty amazing that a whole zine worth of comics is made in one night. That's amazing. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's it's not like a weekly thing. Like most people are like, oh yeah, we're going to make a comic at the end of the month. But we're going to meet after like every week to do it, you know? Yeah, but yeah. this is pretty cool. This mm-hmm. is like comics on speed kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Comics on beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, what's like the demographic at the Toronto Comics Jam? Like, uh, how, like, what are the ages of the people? What are their backgrounds? Who are some of your favorite people there? You've had Sarah Finn on the show already, right? I she's, have, she's from Asylum Squad. Yeah, she's amazing. I would say the um, age ranges from 20s to 50s, 60s even. Like, it's wide. 19 plus. Male and mm-hmm. female. get into the bar. 19 plus, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's I've like seen a, some younger people there, too. Oh, and oh, it's, really? it's it's males and females. Like it's yeah. everyone is welcome, and yeah. there's it's it's like it's a nice environment. It's a safe space for anyone to go and just have a good time. Nice, nice. Yeah. You go in, and there's no like preamble. There's no like uh, person stands up and goes, "Hey, welcome to the Toronto Comic Jam." I'm, uh, you know, <laughs> Dave Howard, like, here are the rules, blah, blah, blah. You just sort of 
figure out what other people are doing and start doing it. Yeah, right? you just dive right in. Okay. And if you yeah. need help, there are people who, who can steer you in the direction of the comic jam, but for the most part, it's it's super loose. What about in terms of like content? Is there any rules around like what you're allowed to put down? No. No, yeah, there was a time when there were there was just a deluge of dick drawings that really permeated the content for whatever reason, but uh, it's not like those that days anymore. have passed. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like rules of improv also. You want to respect what came before and you want to sort of you don't want to like torpedo someone's idea and anyone that does that there's been one or two throughout my tenure there but like it doesn't happen often improv's a good comparison because you know it's the yes and where you have to like add the stuff mm-hmm. rather than like blocking and like saying like no that didn't happen it happened this way so i guess you wouldn't be able to like completely change a premise that someone's working on too much and like limit it kind of thing a good jam comic is actually like a learned skill and like i think everybody's impulse at first is to like make a punchline with each new panel which doesn't end up reading as like a good page it's yeah carrying the story through and right right so so do you figure that out the more you go and just like sort of over time like how did you guys individually develop uh at the toronto comic jam well, I've certainly, when in doubt, I would just sort of uh, try to imitate the person's style who came before me. Like, just you basically, all the pages are laid out on the stage, and you find one you connect with. And um, sometimes an idea really pops into my head, right? But otherwise, I just will try to draw as the person before me drew, and, and you learn, right? You learn about different sort of styles, and you draw outside of your comfort range. Cool. And, like, knowing, I guess, knowing improv, you know sort of that, that you don't want to, like... Uh block people but like not everyone has that knowledge i guess so what do you do if like somebody is blocking people and stuff like do you like pull them aside or (laughs) that kind of thing it doesn't happen a lot i think like honestly it's just discouraged but like no one really seems to do that a lot it's not really an issue it's not we're not the people who run it so it's (laughs) not our problem (laughs) that's that's true that's true has it ever happened where like the comic was so bad in the night that like the book never got never <laughs> never got published like it never became like book quality i mean there's probably some pages that have gone by the wayside for reasons like that probably yeah, yeah. but like again we don't we don't put together the book so i don't ever get to see that and, and how many people per session usually 20ish it depends. I mean, in the wintertime, I've been in there and there's been like three of us. And then in the summertime, you can't even get a seat. There's so many mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, it just depends on the night it falls on and the weather outside. Right. And on the Facebook page, like, do you get any like community updates or you just sort of, we know that it's, you know, would you say the last Tuesday of every, of every yeah. month? And that's just what it's going to be. Yeah. That's, that's been like that for the 20 years it's been going nice. so mm-hmm. i mean i think it's in the description of the facebook page but they don't really um promote it too much like it's has it ever been canceled like like you showed up and like it was like closed or like there's always someone happened. to draw and amazing. there's always someone yeah, cool. <laughs> it's amazing yeah that's awesome there's some serious diehards over there so then you guys met yeah well, I mean, you guys kind of met before, David and, and Rob, but you met James there. Yeah. What initially uh, got you talking to James? Um, As I recall, we were uh, smoking a joint. <laughs> <laughs> I was eavesdropping, <clears throat> listening to you talking about starting some sort of collective. And I just sort of nosed my way into his conversation and said, I want to start a collective. 
And I got a guy inside who wants to start a collective too. So we went inside, found Dave, and we started a Twitter account and said, we're just going to start posting content and see what happens. I think it, I think started, it started, a uh, I think if I may, it was a challenge. And it was like, we all had to post content every week. We each had our day. And if we didn't do that, we, we owed around basically. And so it was just, I, I remember I, I, we were just each doing like images or sketchbook or jokes and things. And it just gradually evolved from there. But that's how it started. On Twitter. So you'd scan your image and post it on Twitter? Yeah. Twitter and Tumblr when we were still active on that. Nice, nice. So so why was there an impulse for each of you to want to start a collective? Um, for me, comics are really lonely. So to have friends who can make comics, who you want to make comics with, who you want to hang out with and like drink beers with and stuff, that just seemed like a no-brainer for me. Yeah. So I was just happy to have people that I could do it with. So that's why I wanted to start it. Yeah, it's like being on a team as well, too, or a band. I think initially we wanted to be like we were a band, but we made comics, not records. And you feel more sort of pressure to produce when there's people on the line and pressure to make it better. And like Rob was saying, it was the social aspect. And I think we all kind of saw like the Toronto Comic Jam as being our model, but we just wanted to kind of pull it in a little bit more and just try to do the Toronto Comic Jam, but just with the three of us. With the three of you, like, obviously there was no audition process. It sort of happened, it sort of happened organically. But did it ever happen that like once you started doing it, people, other people wanted in? Sometimes I get people asking if it's like open to others and I'm just sort of like, it's just like just the three of us hanging out and drinking beer you know it's not like a big thing we're not trying to be like a i mean we're totally i, I love working with other people but for this it's just it's nice to have just like a tight crew right sort of thing. right so it's, it's more like it's more like a friendship thing yeah and stuff. We, we, we've certainly spoke about like uh including guest artists or doing projects that involve other people read more other people's comics essentially mm, yeah. and that's definitely in the works for ideas we want to work on but like certainly we're only three issues in so i think setting the tone with the three of us has been sort of what i, I should right say because like you reminded me when you said you're only three issues in when when was this established uh we actually just passed our two-year anniversary um like last month i think so oh, okay. We did like six months of online content and then we put out our first book. So right now, as you're listening to this, it's October uh, 2017. Mm -hmm. So it's so, okay, cool. That's awesome. So were you guys working on comics outside of the Toronto Comics Jam before this? And uh, did you want to make it a career? Like what's sort of your ambition? And maybe that informed your ambition for starting The Collective. I'd been making comics in in college and stuff, and then after after college, I I started a zine of my own called Toonie Quarterly, and I just kind of made the challenge to myself of you know print this book four times a year, no matter what it is, and um, started producing a lot of uh, like journal comics. What are journal comics? Just a daily page, write about what happened to you that day. Oh, cool. Sort of like a Harvey Picard kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Real life stuff. Right. And at the time I was like, you know, living in the city and looking for a job, had to move back home, you know, installing siding. So it made for interesting content of me being like, nothing is working in my life. <laughs> I make like, now I can make comics about how I wish I was making more comics. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and then once I got busier with the job that I'm at now, I kind of like the idea of like th those angsty comics kind of fell off. And I was, you know, looking for uh, kind of like other projects to fill that void. Um, I ended up making like in, an independent book. And then, but I was like, I don't know, like, that's kind of like where my impulse for uh, 
having a collective came from because it was like if we can have a collective deadline to hit where we're all producing content for it's easier pushes. to put together a book when you don't have to do all the pages yourself. Yeah, yeah. Right. one third. <laughs> and pushes you to uh, make your best work when you're putting it alongside other people. Yeah, totally. Right. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, that's cool. And, and you were sort of at a crossroads. So the collective was like the perfect idea to fill that void and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So, so David, what, yeah. what were you, uh, doing, uh, outside of Toronto comic jam? It was, um, newspaper comics. Uh, I went to university and I was a member of the school newspaper and uh, I did a single panel comic there for like four years. It was awesome. I ran four times a week and it was just like, as I mentioned, the far side very influenced by that heavily pop culture influence as well too but that was my background and that kind of transitioned into me uh doing web comics the same kind of way like just a single panel and that's that's where i was at and then when i met these guys it just all of a sudden um longer format comics became possible and other ideas i'd never even thought of became possible and just breaking outside of just doing one panel but i was coming at it from from the strip i always thought that like the far side would be like super super challenging like the single panel new yorker style like comics it always seemed like very highbrow like because you had to like fit this one line that like perfectly encapsulated everything like it must not be a challenge for you but like Tell me about the process of yeah. like creating a single well, panel comic. You, uh, mentioned the New Yorker, and for sure, like uh, Charles Adams, all these guys, and just like it is, it is a certain kind of art form, and I don't know, like um, it's something I'm comfortable with, and I guess I just think of the punchline. Uh, you want to see the image first, and then it's usually a caption underneath, and so it's all about kind of drawing the eye from the top to the bottom, and then finally reading what's printed is usually how the eye flows. So it's a single panel, but the panel is like divided into a lot of imaginary smaller panels and it's just the eye flow and a good punchline right right kind of it, so yeah. you have to you have to figure out what people are going to notice and what order they're going to notice them yeah i guess it's a bit of a slow burn because like you might notice like part of a layer of a joke and then you would notice like the next layer of the joke depending on what you're looking at in the in the panel and slow burn is a good way to describe it and charles adams would always say if he ever had to caption his single panel comics he failed because he would always try to accomplish it all by the image alone and so that's really what i try to try to do as well oh nice so so you're not even doing the captions now you're like well that's if the the most elevated uh comic doesn't uh doesn't need any caption doesn't need any words you know in, in some ways right like uh that's sort of an extreme point of view but um i take that to heart to keep things simple yeah and wordless comics are like whenever they come out they're very very like whoa like wordless like this is like the height of the medium because it shows how you can tell a story like you don't even need the words and it's because of the strength of the comic because let's be honest the writer is secondary when you're making a comic like you need the artist it's not a comic without the artist Mm -hmm. Um, but like whenever like a wordless comic comes out I think Marvel did one in Spider-Man called Nuff Said which was which was really good uh toronto comics is going to be doing a wordless comic in their next thing but like everybody takes notice when when it's a wordless comic also uh, translates very easily too oh totally into all languages yeah yeah i think that's really cool because like the accessibility is that's a really good point because you know doesn't really matter what language you speak like you're totally gonna understand totally Mm -hmm. that's awesome so so rob what were you what were you doing 
Um, I have been self-publishing comics since about 2002. I'm not 100% sure why, but I have. <laughs> it's just been something... It's just always been my go-to. At this point, it's like... It's definitely... Um, it's a mental health thing. It's like if I don't draw and draw comics, I start feeling like really crazy mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So for me, um, it's just a matter of keeping myself level and keeping myself going. Um, I haven't really had any like career ambitions for it. I mean, if I could get a career out of it, that's one thing. But I've pretty much always been told that like comics are for delinquents and children and like what's the point? And like art school beat like comics out of me so bad, but... I keep doing them anyways and I'm just sort of doing it for myself and if other people love it then that's a bonus but I don't really expect too much in terms of monetary or anything like that well, right I should but you know but I, you are publishing uh, read more comics mm-hmm. and you are taking it to conventions and yeah uh, and so there's a little been, bit of ambition yeah there. and what it's been doing is like we've sold enough to to not have to pay for it anymore like it's paying for itself nice which is like essentially all we really wanted i think at at first was we put in the initial amount of money to do the first print run and then everything else is like pretty much been a bonus so and people have actually liked it too so that's it's been pretty satisfying you guys obviously were all into comics prior to creating comics um because i feel like most of the people we've had on like very few of them get into comics by making comics first. Like usually the idea of doing a comic comes from your love of comics in the first place. Mm-hmm. So what what are some of your influences? What are some of the things that you were reading? Uh, how did you know that comic shops were even a real thing in the world? Uh, tell me that story. Uh, we'll start with James. Definitely an early influence would be like Archie Comics. Definitely spent a uh, summer or two just like plowing through those things. And um, just because they were there in just the grocery store? Just because they were there and they're, I don't know, they're just very readable. <laughs> Six page story, punchline at the end, perfectly satisfying. You could take the captions out of an Archie comic and still understand fully what's going on. It's so beautifully art- articulated. So, like, that's, it's, it's just, it's so easy for anyone to get into sort of thing. And uh, I'm reading a layer of irony here because James kind of looks like he could be in an Archie comic. <laughs> like, that he could live in Riverdale. Yeah, he's awesome. got He's got the plaid shirt, the red hair, the classic, like, Weezer glasses. <laughs> Completely could be in an Archie comic for sure. <laughs> anyway. Um, awesome. so, so, David, what what, what is how did you find comics yeah how did you figure out that they existed well of course it was um newspaper strips moving to superheroes like spider-man and then finding eight ball finding dan klaus finding um chester brown finding seth love and rockets and the beguiling and that was finding out how comics were like something i feel like i could really do because i could never draw the marvel way you know i'm just i don't got those skills but when i saw in the optic nerve adrian tamine and all of the underground comics from the 90s really kind of showed me how it could become a scene how i wanted to be part of it and that excited me like really i think we all kind of had an eight ball moment when we read dan klaus is something we talk about and really and finding out how like uh, the toronto three and how they built their scene and i just thought that that's, that's what I want to do. <laughs> the Toronto Three, you guys, for those who don't know, and maybe this is your first episode you've ever listened to of Speech Bubble, 
uh, Chester Brown, Seth, and a guy named Joe Matt, who was actually American, but uh, was living in Canada uh, illegally during the 90s. These guys sort of came around at a time where they were able to start like an autobiographical comics movement that like sort of spread, uh, came out of the underground comic scene of like the Robert Crumbs and those sorts of things in the 70s, but was much more personal and autobiographical in the 90s. And it wasn't just a Canadian Toronto thing. It ended up being uh, part of the zeitgeist, at least in independent comics uh, internationally and in the US particularly. Um, yeah, I, I want to I talk more about that too, because I mean, those guys... Uh, they just tell their own stories and a lot of you guys uh, James particularly like you were telling your own story and like you're doing the journal comics and that sort of thing uh, David what was your sort of uh, what did you really pick up on for the autobiographical comics and why did you want to go that direction yeah um, I, I tried and failed horribly to do autobiographical comics I really wanted to I really loved optic nerve and as I mentioned eight ball and I just you know it just wasn't my, my forte and uh, I just you know single panel comics were and I loved how eight ball was I believe the term is uh, a self-published anthology a solo anthology I think they call it read just has like a book full of all of his little mini ideas and so that was kind of the direction i went in after that i was inspired just to because uh, dan Klaus would do like a four panel strip he would do like a longer format one kind of anything went any rules but was good so that's kind of how i was inspired nice and rob how did you come to comics what what were your uh, your influences um, like I said, I've always sort of been reading them. Like I started with the newspapers and then Archie's and superheroes when I was young. Um, I think it really clicked my late teenage years when I discovered Johnny the Homicidal Maniac mm, and yeah. um, realized that there was something more than just the stuff that I was exposed to, like something more tangible that I could I could get into. And so I wanted, I started drawing my own comics like a lot more after discovering that book. And then when I found Robert Crumb not too long after that, I realized how off the wall they could be and like how anything could go as long as you you had the, the strength itself to, to put yourself out there like that. And it so, totally um, like just sort of inspired me to just start throwing shit at the wall, essentially. The thing I love about Robert Crumb, like more than like the humor, it's the sweaty angstiness because yeah. he puts so much severity and yeah. like unvarnished detail in all of his in all of his drawings yeah he's definitely informed the way i draw that for it's like a very that it's time. very very like oh you see the mole you see the yeah. whiskers you see everything and every time the characters whether it's him or someone else they look so panicked and like yeah. severe and like yeah. stressed out all the time yeah. so yeah, yeah I, li I like it and so we mentioned like the 90s kind of uh, underground cartoonists, but they really started crumb influenced them. And then, of course, Art Spiegelman, guys like that. And so just just keep moving back and uh, Basil Wolverton. Right. And uh, just keeps going. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and you guys are kind of doing that uh, solo anthology thing with yeah. with read more comics. Right. Like when you were, you know, figuring out like how you were going to do this. Uh, is there a particular ethos, a particular uh, style you wanted to follow? Is there a particular structure for the book that you wanted? We didn't put any rules on each other. We just basically said, hey, if we can each get together eight pages, then we can have a 24-page book. 
Uh, and we, yeah, we didn't put anything on each other for uh, what, what that content was going to be. No, um, it, you're right. We were we were really fortunate though that we all really liked each other's work and styles and stuff. <laughs> it would have been like, di- when we put it together, it like flowed quite nicely. Though it didn't seem so jarring from one style to another. It's, so we just went with it. It's weird because there's a sort of magic because it's like. You are all thinking that you're doing your individual thing, individual, you do your style, you're not putting rules on it, anyone, so you could theoretically do whatever you want. But when you go through this book and you read it all together, you notice the complementary similarities, like all the styles are underground comic styles. All the styles are heavily influenced by Optic Nerve and 8-Ball and that sort of thing. So the great thing is, is that even though there were no rules and even though you have separate styles, your styles fit together. So it makes it like a like a book that mm-hmm. like flows and you get that like these are all part of the same whole it's not yeah. one dude doing you know the soviet iconography of like <laughs> superman red sun and then one guy doing you know seth and then one guy doing some painterly alex ross sort of thing yeah. they all sort of are part of the same uh, trajectory i guess um that obviously wasn't planned. We didn't right? talk about it at all. Oh, okay. We uh, just sort of, you do your pages, I'll do my pages. We'll see what happens in the end. And we were very fortunate that it worked. <laughs> it was organic. I think we all trusted each other. We all wanted to draw comics together because we really liked each other's comics. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And But once you started seeing that happening, were you like, I got to learn more about these guys because obviously they're influenced by what I'm influenced by? I, I would say like a part of like when we hang out and draw comics together, we're always talking about comics, lending each other comics, you know, so that just that totally happens when we draw comics together. We talk about comics. <laughs> right, right. All right, cool. So does this usually happen like in a house or do you guys go out to do this? Like what? what what's the deal? We go to each other's houses. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And and it's just like pick a day or is it the same day every month like the collective? No, because, you know, everyone's got different schedules and stuff. It's just whatever works. Right. Okay, cool. So I want to talk about the content. Uh, There's a lot of uh, recurring uh, gags in here that I kind of appreciate. I, I like the brick adventures of brick where we figure out what happens in a brick's daily life <laughs> and uh, just how kind of ironically superheroic he can be sometimes in a very simple way. Tell me about some of the characters and recurring concepts and how do they become recurring concepts? Uh, let's let's start with Brick since you brought him up because Brick is a great example of read more comics in action. Brick was developed through one of our comic jams when we would just hang out and we were all drawing little quick panels together. Someone drew a brick, someone drew the brick moving around, and then suddenly the brick got legs, stood up, walked around, and I think there was a whole bunch of bricks, and he turned into a house. I forget how it ended, but Brick was essentially born out of our comic jam, and from there it just sort of... Like and you ran with it. And then I kind of ran with it. It's just like I've never really had a character that's inspired me before. But from these early jams we had, there were so many good ideas. I think Smoke may have come from that too, Smoke Break. But definitely Brick was sort of us all working together to come up with this idea. And then suddenly, like, I just had a million Brick stories that I wanted to draw. Nice. And Smoke Break. <laughs> uh, let, me just, let me just tell you people, it's, it's, it's essentially people having a smoke break 
and every second word is like the f word basically <laughs> when they're talking like that's literally i don't know if all smoke breaks are like that but i'm sure if you're smoking your body is saying that internally <laughs> <laughs> so anyway what what is smoke break like what okay, i'll, I'll what take this that? i'll take this question okay so smoke break was this basically like just uh i don't know just as everyone's having a, a smoke break everyone's just kind of talking and stuff i just thought wouldn't it be just what are the smokes saying and of course that's the smokes talk dirty <laughs> the smokes are filthy and that was it that was smoke break but smoke break i believe also developed in tiny comics as we were drawing them together nice and it but it's not just that they're filthy and they're saying filthy things it's that they're repeatedly saying <laughs> the f word after every sentence like that's the joke that's of the pretty entire much all they thing. say right yeah, yeah exactly uh, yeah, and the yeah, fact yeah. that they're like living cigarettes who are like slowly dying and they're just like ah yeah. fuck like I, yeah, it's yeah, a classic yeah. example of lowbrow highbrow <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it reminded me of some some of the dudes who hung out of the smoke pit in high school, yeah, yeah. where like they wouldn't exactly say the f word after every word in the smoke break, yeah. but you got the sense that there was like this uh, sort of weird, gnarled, angsty, bitter feeling <laughs> that was solely brought on by the fact that they had to like go outside and smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So, uh, other things that I wanted to mention is like some of the stuff is like hilarious, but like disturbing and like freaky and like where do these thoughts come from and like maybe we have to have a chat later because <laughs> like there, there's comics where uh, this dude doesn't have eyes but he doesn't realize that he doesn't have eyes uh, and everybody else does uh, there's comics where like you know some collection of like body works muscle finds a skin in the woods <laughs> and, and has to put it on because it's cold and he needs like a skin body or something where rob is this you they keep pointing yeah, me. you those those ones you pointed out are me yeah. okay i'm not sure where these come from they just sort of happen i just a lot of times i do comic jams by myself in my sketchbook and then i wind up with like multiple page story and then I just I just do it I don't know I I have a lot of really twisted thoughts in my head it's better to probably put them down on paper than to like use them in my everyday life sort of thing so. I and I yeah of course <laughs> I wonder if uh, if working at a liquor store too long is sort of influencing well, your yeah uh, I've seen I've seen all kinds of folk okay and uh, it's definitely informed uh, some of my humor because I guess when you're looking at like alcohol and there's a lot of alcohol abuse and stuff like that you kind of have to find the funny in it and it's not always like i've had i've had a couple people go like do you think you could tone down how like weird this is or like you picking on this or that and i'm like no like it's i'm not gonna i'm not gonna censor myself or edit myself you know? who told you that Tone some, some random guy was like these comics are really good but like you can you just lay <laughs> off of like like, I was doing these journal comics, and I was dealing with, like, some homeless people, and I wasn't, like, making fun of them or anything, but I, they were in my comics, and he was kind of like, um, do you think you could, like, tone it down on that? And I was just like, you probably should stop reading my comics, because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bend for you. I feel like if you're hitting a nerve like that in a comic, a you're thing, doing right? the, you're yeah. doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah. I feel like if people are reacting, and they actually have a response and an opinion to what you're doing, yeah. you're doing something And I try not to make right. fun of people, right. and, like, I don't use 
sexist jokes or anything like that. Like, I'm not into any of that stuff. It's just, it's just the things that I find funny. Yeah, <laughs> there's a difference between being like bitingly funny and just having it be like racist propaganda exactly. and, and like, stuff like that. You know what I mean? So yeah, of course. <laughs> but there's there's a lot. There's a very large distance between yeah. that, those two things. I mean, like, yeah, it, it's it's really, really interesting. Like, some of these uh, characters show up again. Like, the guy without eyes is on the cover of uh, of one of the one of the volumes and stuff like that. There's a really hilarious joke, uh, and I, I think David did it, uh, where like you take the dog, the bounty hunter. Hawaiian aesthetic of the bra and you make it like a bra <laughs> comics bra, bra comic. actual bras I mean that's that's hilarious thank you so it's pretty cool and then like James like yeah I mean they're they are like distinctly different styles but they're they're all things that you think might belong in an independent comic but James, sometimes you do a lot of like personal, like morose sort of stuff. One of the things that comes to mind for you, for you know, for me, when I'm looking at your stuff, is the dry spell. Mm. Uh, tell me about the dry spell because I read it and I was sort of like, oh, that's sad. Like, like, oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that comic was really sad. Okay, uh, but it didn't start out from a place of sadness. It started out from the idea of just like a wizard on vacation. Uh -huh. I like that image of like, what would a wizard be doing on vacation? And I, uh, I had been to this t on a vacation to Cuba recently, and we were stayed at this like really old shitty resort, and um, I just like had this imagery of like this like beachside like old kind of place. Once I started writing out like what the different characters would be doing, it, it kind of came to like, you know, these oblivious tourists like accidentally pissing off this old man who they didn't realize was like so powerful and then he just kind of like uses his magic uh to like destroy their lives <laughs> right and it, and it look it becomes more about the couple and like yeah the weird unspoken stuff in their relationship that he just exploits and drives a truck through to eventually tear them apart yeah just because he's trying to like study late in uh, in the middle of the night and they're like keeping him up with, keeping him awake with their sex so he just like you know fucks them over with a spell it's very read more comics <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, like super and very like like what's going on in your life you need to, you need to like wreck people and stuff it's <laughs> a so, so very very cool very cool uh, yeah it's just it's just insane some of the stuff you guys come up with what are your your goals like how do you feel the comic has evolved over the course of you doing it in the three volumes for sure i see it that i had my strength i think we all did coming into it with issue one and i was the the joke guy i do like one panel two panel things and i feel these guys are both kind of holding down the longer format kind of story and i feel that's changing a bit because as issue three comes out i feel i've got like the longer story and these guys are kind of going for quicker kind of jokes and i don't know if it's if it's a conscious thing or not i'm definitely heavily influenced by what these guys do and it just it informs me and every time we put out another issue we want to try something different you know have you guys tried the single panel uh, joke as well? Oh, James has. He's, he's good at it. Yeah, I, read it. I write them sometimes. Nice. They, may, they may show up in print. It's interesting because comics are really about 
telling the story like whenever you want to break into the industry the reason people want to see published work is because they want to see that you can tell the story like mm-hmm. it's not about the pinup it's about mm-hmm. can you do the sequential thing right. so it's interesting that like as you get more proficient at doing comics you want to tell longer stories yeah. you know i think it just gives you more tools like it's like um every time i get an idea it says can this be a single panel comic and if it can't be it's like well maybe i can do a four panel maybe i can do a full page maybe this is more of like a, a like six page comic and i just feel the since i've been drawing comics with read more comics i just have more of these options right Cool. And I think when we first sat down to like make a full color comic book, that was like a really exciting idea that like we've never done that before. And I think that um, a lot of what keeps us going is the uh, the that we just keep brainstorming on future projects and you know the excitement of like oh well, what what could we do next and yeah. you know that's awesome and yeah i should have mentioned off the top that it is full color and i mean a lot of comics like this that are like independent sort of pamphlet size i mean they do the full color cover to get you in but then it's like black and white inside so it's cheaping out a little bit but that was part of the challenge was like to to make it full color because like you can do a black and white comic but then you have to basically do it again just to put the color in like that for me was like a huge challenge huge like learning curve was trying to like figure out how to color yeah me too because i was very much into black and white comics i still am i still really want to do them but i just feel like we at least for the work i was doing before this like we definitely stepped up the the bar for like what i expect of myself so tell me about that tell me about the challenge of coloring because i don't think a lot of people realize i mean we don't have a lot of colorists on the show we haven't yet so uh tell me why it feels like you're doing a comic again um basically because i don't know what i'm doing (laughs) with color like i'm just I, i i don't even know like it's it's really it's tricky it's a lot of fun and it looks awesome when it comes out but just like with making comics i don't even know what my process is for the most part is it just (laughs) is it just trying to decide what color things should actually be yeah Yeah, there's a million different ways to to color any given page right so it's it's a whole new series of creative decisions and Mm -hmm. you have to um consider like the contrast and like how is this going to affect how a thing reads um i don't know when you see like i saw today a post online of like here's my inks for this cover and then here are the colors and just the the way that it changes how it reads like it's it's so i don't know it just has such a strong effect on the visuals of it that it's it's this whole other thing and when you saw the inks were you thinking about those colors or were they oh, no. totally different than you ha- thought that he would color it in, oh yeah i never would have thought to color it that way yeah. it was so it was so surprising actually because i saw, well actually i saw the colors first and then when i saw the inks i was like oh like it was a disconnect right I don't know. right i'd say i i didn't have a lot of uh, experience with color i guess none of us did but i feel like i especially didn't but through learning how to do it it's like it's an essential tool for storytelling you know and now it's i find it it's a real shortcut you want to get a point across you want to draw a traffic light use colors right if you want to draw like a fire engine this it's sort of it's an easier way now to get the point across so it's kind of harder to do black and white in some respect it's also another layer of humor right you can tell a joke with a color because color is at your disposal yeah exactly like it sets moods and stuff like that and all kinds of stuff and i mean like when when you're inking and you're just doing something in black and white you're thinking about that contrast it's all it's all you have to worry about is the black and white when you add color to it 
if you put too much black into it, that could throw things off. Like you have to sort of dial it back sometimes. And it's, there's, there's just a whole nother step to everything. So drawing is the easy part. Coloring is not easy. Yeah. Classic mistake is using way too many colors. Yeah. <laughs> Very easy to yeah. get lost in it. Right. Right. Totally. So how do you like, how do you make these decisions? Do you sit down and talk about them or does everyone get to figure out what they want their individual comic to be in terms of color? Yeah. I, I think like essentially um, we all basically draw ink and color our own submissions for the book, but we all jam the cover together. So if you look at the covers of each book, that's something that one of us will pencil, one of us will ink, one of us will color. And the covers are kind of exciting. If you look at Read More Comics 1, I see you've got there, we kind of drew that right at the end and we put all the characters from the book in it. And so then it's exciting to see all the characters from all of our different stories interacting on the same page. I should mention that like, of all the characters that they put in here and all the characters they uh, could have chosen, they chose to make the centerpiece the dude beating up some dude with a broken <laughs> bottle. <laughs> Which <laughs> actually isn't in the book. So. So, <laughs> actually, I think there is a moment yeah. in the book where, some, where some dude uh, actually know? goes after a dude with... It's in Read More Comics bottle. too. That guy okay. appears in Tiny Comics. And we see the adventures of the bottle, the smashed bottle. Right. So, yeah, yeah it's... Uh, those comics were actually made as a reference to the cover from the previous book. Oh, nice. Okay. So he didn't exist in volume one, but because of the cover, like, oh my God, you guys. You're, right. you're, the snake eats its own tail. Totally. Totally. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, like this is awesome. And, I, and I, I really, a lot of people say like, oh, I'm influenced by underground comics. Oh, I'm influenced by biographical comics. But not a lot of people like get the sensibility as well as you guys do so that like you can actually translate the humor of underground comics and it feels like an underground comic you. you know that's what i mean a great compliment like, that's you. kind of a thing like a lot of people are like oh yeah i can like draw on the style but can you translate a joke that would fit into an underground comic you know can you do something like the dry spell which would be very it's very autobiographical i mean even though that's happening like a wizard is making that happen. I feel like the conflict with the couple, you know, could have been in a Chester Brown book yeah, or something, yeah, or, or like something Adrian like that. Sabine. Yeah, exactly. Those are the kind of comics I always wanted to draw. Yeah. You know, and James is is really gifted with uh, with words and dialogue and and flowing stories, right? And so it's just really cool to see that and. Yeah, and Rob and his sixth sense of humor. Like I, I, I just I, comics broke my brain a yeah, long yeah, time ago. I just love it. I mean, the dude has like a pizza slice tattoo for no reason. Yeah, I really well, like pizza. What is, what is is that the story? Like, what's what's the story behind that? Um, the story is I had a coworker who anytime um, something would happen, like something dramatic or something not related to work and something stupid, she would always throw her hands up in the air and say, "I only make the pizza." Um, so it's, it's a way of her being like, this isn't my problem. I'm backing off. And so for me to not get held up in all the drama of work, I, I got that tattooed on me so I could look at it and just say to myself, I only make the pizza. Like I'm not here for the rest of this shit. Nice. And I really like pizza. So I, I drew it myself. <laughs> has she, awesome. has she seen, uh, your tattoos? Yeah, she loves it. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. I, I would, I would feel honored if somebody thought my saying was so dope that they wanted to adopt it into their right. whole life. Yeah. It, was, it became a good mantra for me to, yeah, to yeah. just sort of like release and not get too caught up in, in bullshit. Totally. 
I guess what's the future of Read More Comics? Is this a business? Do you care if you sell any copies? I mean, you all have jobs and one of you is a dentist so he could stop making comics whenever he wanted because he'll be <laughs> driving a Porsche. And oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> a few guys Not in really. your comics. Yeah. I'm, I'm a dentist making the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway. it's, it's not like that. It's not like that. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> so anyway, uh, what is the future of Read More Comics? Mm. are you you guys obviously still go to the jams like where do you want to take this i think the immediate future is the next book and the next book is tiny comics which we debut at canzine which is october 21st at the ago so i think the future is just the next book the next idea and like james was saying it's just coming up with these exciting new ideas that really keeps us going and um you know there's just so many right and it's just it's the next book, the next idea. We all have day jobs. Um, I don't think any of, well, like, I think the day job's got to stay there. But if, you never know. Like, I would I would certainly, if I could make a living drawing comics, I certainly would. I'm content to make the best comics I can possibly make. And I make it w- with these guys, right? And right. Uh, we inspire each other and just, and that's the reward. Your mother must be proud, though. My, my son's a dentist. <laughs> yeah, oh, I thought you were going to say my son's a cartoonist. <laughs> yeah, just, she wouldn't be proud. No, no. Like, she'll probably be like, why are you leaving dentistry for comics? Yeah. So maybe you want to keep the, the job. Yeah, keep your day job. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the expression. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. Um, Tiny Comics, we should talk about that. We should talk about the next book. We should hype up the next book. Uh, am I holding it in my hand? You got the first copy. All right. So, so let me try to describe this. So, Tiny Comics, um, you remember those like Tijuana Bible kind of flip book sort of things? This is a little bit longer than that, but not much. It's like really tiny. It's like all the pages are sort of bookmark in length. And each comic is a comic strip of about three panels strictly three panels so like there's real like structure restrictions to this and real like we want to make like a pocket-sized checkbook style comic uh where did this idea come from well way back when there was a page that was just sitting at the comic gym that had like a bunch of tiny little uh panels on it and I just picked it up and started and kept going at that size. And what I realized was it was great for just flowing through the story. Not, I mean, it was stick figures. I didn't get, you know, I wasn't worried about the, what the drawings looked like and, um, and was finding that it was really good for writing. Yeah. And then I shared it with these guys and we just, uh, just loved the, the format of making, yeah. you know, drawing, drawing stuff as tiny as you could. Yeah. And we just made a whole bunch of them as, as jam comics. I was talking about like at our, uh, sorry, James, but um, at, uh, coming up with, with brick and all these early ideas was through doing tiny comics. James would pass around a page that was divided up into little, like, like, like 48 panels on the page. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it, it kind of freed you up not to have to like draw like a major composition. And just like James was saying, it just helped you kind of just draw stick figures if you want. You coined the term tiny comics and just that just sort of stuck. I, it, it, I also found it as a really good writing tool for pieces that went into like the, the big books because I was, you know, you could just like sketch the stuff out in pen and work out your beats and figure out what's going in a page and but and Dave, uh, you've yeah. been peppering tiny comics throughout the books. Yeah, Dave really took it to the next level and did <laughs> read more comics books because he made really finished, nice looking ones. <laughs> and then yeah. eventually it was like, oh, like, are we going to do this together for, as a book? It was always my dream to like make it its own book, you know. And so, and like, uh, are there uh, volumes? Like, we jammed the cover together. I did the pencils, Rob inked it, and James colored it. And then um, the book flows with basically um, our stories just 
going one to the other seamlessly but jarringly and tiny comics was also supposed to be like a stream of consciousness thing and like if you ever didn't know what to draw for your next panel just draw something random just keep drawing stuff and eventually a story will happen it's like those comic games like you know you know how like board games like they're taking the comic idea like happiness and cyanide Mm -hmm. and like those sorts Mm -hmm. of things where like the turn is like picking the yeah. panel from the cards that you have. Like yeah. Your cards are panels and everyone has to put them down. This is sort of that. But mm-hmm. like, this is the original thing of that because obviously yeah. you're not inspired by a board game. The board game is inspired by the comic. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of what you're doing. It's like you're laying down the panels yeah. like like a deck of cards kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's like, very much up our alley. <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. James is very much into... Uh, turning comics into games sort of yeah anything that makes it takes an exercise of like collaboration and turns it into like a fun <laughs> which i mean it you know the comic jam is just like a giant game anyways right mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. kind of like where we started all together too so. right and and i think that what i'm learning you know as i'm re- as i'm looking through your comics and looking at the evolution and hearing you guys talk is that the comic jam is what gave you the skills that I'm giving you credit for in terms of being able to like tell the jokes that would be appropriate and like figuring out flow and like what types of drawing styles even fit together. It was the comic jam where you figured out like the narrative experimentation, right? And it definitely informed our collaboration. Right. Would you say that like without it, I mean, the comics wouldn't be what they are? And you wouldn't be, I guess you wouldn't be as uh, good at this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, Big definitely. yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Like what has uh, Toronto Comics like brought to your life? Uh, Rob, you you mentioned that making comics is sort of a stress release for you. Yeah. Uh, in the way that like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and martial arts is for me. Yeah. What has Toronto Comics uh, given you, and why do you keep going to it? Uh, well, the jam is just, like, a really friendly space, and, like, it definitely made me a more social cartoonist when I finally came to it and discovered it and stuff, so I have a lot to owe to it. Not to say that I didn't do a lot of the work on my own, too, but, you know, it definitely made me branch out and think about things differently and talk to other people and sort of learn how to storytell a little differently or better or what have you. My comics before the jam to now are, there's probably a really big difference. Before the jam, would you say that you were like in a bit of a bubble and like oh, yeah. this sort of expands it? Was just, it? I, I had like the few artists that I knew and I wanted to emulate their kind of work sort of thing. And I, I would try and do that sort of thing. Right. But the comic jam definitely helped me uh, find my own voice, I think, to a certain yeah. degree. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, so David, let me know, how has the Toronto Comic Jam influenced you and uh, why do you keep going to it? I'd say uh, every reason Rob said. Uh, also, the uh, nuts and bolts of what marker are you using? What uh, correction fluid do you like to use? Just uh, learning all these kind of little details for how I can do my best panels. And also, you, you draw a panel, you throw it into the mix, and if nobody draws a panel after you, you just 
you know, that, that was obviously a terrible panel. And so you just kind of learn what works, what doesn't. Um, and I certainly saw it like it being like sort of our training grounds. I, I, I really feel like when we were doing Toronto Comic Jam, this felt like a big open mic night. I like to think of it as a big open mic night. Read More Comics became like our band, kind of like us coming together from that to kind of do something very similar, but something just uh, smaller and more controlled. Right, right. That's awesome. And I think too, like, I mean, there's other people there. There's a level of like competition and like trying to like show what you got. And uh, that can only sort of foster uh, mm-hmm. foster good things. Um, has anything else come out of uh, Toronto uh, Toronto Comic Jam uh, besides uh, read more comics? Like, are there other oh, yeah. people doing? Uh, you got solo Sarah comics? Finn, who you've yeah. had on your show. Yeah. She's a fantastic artist. Yeah, um, she's a she's a good friend of read more comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Daly, uh, he's been going since literally the first comic jam he's like and he's amazing he's like he does great comics he's a full-time illustrator sort of thing nicest guy in the world um there's all kinds of cool stuff that's come and gone like people like i mean i think chester brown is showing up at the comic jam like ran not when i was there but you know randomly and there's a and in terms of collaboration there was uh grawlix that was that uh anthology zine that was um I think it was I think it was organized within the comic jam. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so there has been a whole bunch of different projects. It's it's just good to get people like-minded together who might not have met the person sitting beside them if it wasn't yeah. for the jam. Nice. It's a yeah. bit of an intellectual artist salon happening. <laughs> yeah, and, and Matt Daly, like that's a guy I want to get on the show. I oh, mean, yeah, I keep running awesome. in him. We're oh. friends. Sometimes I see him at the sidekick randomly. I, mm-hmm. He's one of those guys that I see over and over and over again repeatedly. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like, hey, Aaron. Well, you can't miss <laughs> him. Where, where are you, this is where we are again <laughs> together. Um, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, if you guys don't know, he does uh, comics for a broken pencil which is the zine and diy uh culture magazine Mm -hmm. in toronto and i guess across canada technically yeah Mm -hmm. but i think they have the heaviest circulation in toronto um yeah like definitely a really cool guy very 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 unique uh drawing style uh it doesn't even look like a drawing style necessarily it looks like he's doing something else yeah uh from a graphic design perspective and he's super knowledgeable about comics too like you could sit and talk with that guy forever he'll turn you on to like so much cool stuff that you knew about before right and the beard the the, like (laughs) freestanding beard this is pretty he's like eight feet tall and his beard's like nine yeah yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) totally totally uh james i i i didn't uh get to you uh when we were talking about how uh, the Toronto Comics uh, Comic Jam has affected your life, uh, yeah, let me know. So, I mean, the I think the the most important part is just the way that it fosters community and the way and like people being able to you know get together and uh, talk comics, draw comics, but also um, the like the way it takes pressure off. Um, we've we've all uh, commiserated before about the like the mounting pressure to constantly produce and like oh if I'm not making comics like then my life is forfeit and I'm like wasting time on this earth uh, which can be a bit daunting and then you go out to the comic jam and you pick up a page and there's like you know two panels on there already and you can only do so much because of the constraints of the of the uh, formula so you just have to you just sit there and you bang out your panel yeah. and you let it go and you don't worry about it and i think that that as uh as 
what it does for a uh, creative process uh, is very healthy and very good. And I should mention that, that there are choices at the Toronto Comic Jam. Like, you don't have to finish this one no. comic yeah. strip. It's like there's a bunch of them on the page. Yeah, there's, right? a, there's a stage at the front of the room with a whole bunch of different boards. So you can just, like, pick through your, your choice of pages. Yeah, totally. And like Toronto comic jam is a comic challenge of a kind. And there's a lot of these challenge events. There's mm. the 24 hour comic. There's the eight hour comic, all kinds of things. So have you tried doing something like a 24 hour comic or like an individual comic uh, challenge? Not the 24 hour I did on February 1st. Every year is hourly comic day. Okay. And so you're supposed to make a comic or a comic strip or whatever you want one an hour. So most people wind up just doing, Oh, this is how this last hour of my day went and sort of thing. And you try and go to bed early so you don't have to draw too many comics sort of thing. But, uh, I mean, I think I wound up with like 18 strips by the end of the day. My wife was not happy with me because <laughs> I was ignoring everything she wanted me to do. But did you draw a panel about that? I did. <laughs> I drew multiple panels about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's all kinds of cool stuff. I've always wanted to do the 24-hour comic challenge. I'm pretty sure I'll break my brain if I try it, but... I'm always down for comic challenges. <laughs> yeah, 24-hour comics get harder and harder as you get older. Yeah. I've done two 24-hour comics. Actually, three. One uh, one was like with a group, and we all like drew our pages, but we went out at, at night, and we stayed out all night. And that was uh, as fun as as it was disastrous. So you brought like a pen and a pad? Yeah, yeah. We all had binders, and we all just had our pages. We ended up calling it poutine for breakfast because we ended up at some diner. Nice, nice. Uh, I've done two 24-hour comics. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them, uh, I guess, was at Harry T. I went to Harry Tranchla, mm -hmm. the sponsor of this podcast. At, at their, I, they used to have like a Dundas and Keel location, and I did a, I did a comic basically incorporating sort of an off-the-wall what's happening in Harry Tarantula at this moment, but isn't really happening. Cool. And then I think the next one I went to was sort of a legendary one organized by Karen uh, Templeton Smith, Ty Templeton's wife. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and it's legendary because I think things like Black Hole Hunters Club and like like Shane Heron and Ricky Lima met there and stuff. Um, you know, a lot of stuff came out of there and a lot of relationships were formed. And uh, I think the comic that I did was just basically like more strip style. And it was like a comic strip about my life with a disability and all the weird, funny stuff that happens when you have a disability. So, yeah, I like them because you don't need any like drawing skill whatsoever. And, you just uh, need endurance, really. And, 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 <laughs> and it, the endurance. It's like, I, I don't think I wouldn't be able to do it if I wasn't at a separate location doing it with other people. Right. right. Because at home, you just fall asleep. That element definitely helps. Right. I'm and, big on those yeah. challenges and, uh, yeah, I'm currently failing at Inktober at the moment. So Yeah, Inktober. <laughs> Happy Inktober, everybody. <laughs> um, you're trying to do Inktober? Let me, let me explain what Inktober is. So Inktober, uh, you have to ink a drawing uh do a drawing in ink uh every day for the month of october can be whatever you want it's usually a pinup or a sketch or something like that nobody's ever done a full comic for inktober that i know of usually it's just whatever character you want so who's doing inktober 
of the group, just me, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, so why would you say you're failing at Inktober? Oh, because I've drawn uh, four so far, and it's currently the 11th. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm about seven behind, but I've I'm on my way back up. I've been every day. I just haven't been posting it or hashtag. I feel like there's added pressure to Inktober because of social media. Yeah. <laughs> like, Inktober used to be a thing you just did. Yeah. And it's now, now it's like... <laughs> Now you're like essentially showing people and you're seeing what everyone else is doing. Yeah. So there's like this weird yeah. pressure and one, one upsmanship that happens, which makes it fun because it becomes like an actual thing, like a serious thing. But it's also kind of like it's not the individual challenge it once was at all. It, yeah. It does uh, sort of lend itself to making a construct to help you produce comics, which is what we've been talking about all night, basically, right. which is what the comic jam is. Is, which is what Read More Comics was too, with the comic challenge we each would produce one a week. And I think that's sort of what um, uh, gets productivity higher. And you gotta get rid of you gotta get rid of that like self-editing uh, where you just like worry about what if like someone told me like, oh I can't do Eggtober because I draw my, I draw it and then I'm like, oh I hate this. And I was like, oh yeah, like I draw it and then I post it and then I look at it to see if I like it. Like yeah, I, I look yeah. at it on my Instagram, I'm like, oh yeah, that kind of sucks. It's kind of a no excuse <laughs> thing, and it trains you to meet deadlines exactly. and not be yeah, too yeah. pressures about your work, which you have to do if you want to make a living doing comics mm -hmm. at all, right? Because it never was an option in school, like to hand in a test. Well, I'm not quite ready with it. You know, I still want to like work on it a little bit more. You handed it in, and you got your mark. And that's just like with comics. Like maybe you did a bad comic that day. And when you're tomorrow. when you're an, tomorrow. when you're an adult, like the freedom of society is you can do whatever you want technically yeah. and uh so there's less structured impositions on you uh other than like yeah. a job and getting money or whatever but outside of that you can do whatever you want so it's it hel it's helpful to put you know constraints on yourself because yeah. otherwise mm -hmm. it's never going to get done exactly yeah you know all right so um where can we find you how do we pick up some of these uh read more comics and your new tiny comics <laughs> i feel like i should say tiny comics <laughs> so uh let me know uh where can we find you on social media how do we uh, get involved and how can people get involved in the toronto comic jam too toronto comic jam just show up last tuesday of every month in the back room of the cameron house there's no signage really so you just have to fight your way past the crowds downtown toronto for the record yeah it's uh queen and spadina pretty much yep, just just west of yeah so that's the last tuesday of every month anyone's welcome if someone's listening and is thinking about it they should just come don't worry about it everyone's very nice there yeah just come like uh, just drop by yeah it's a really fun time if you want to pick up our comics um Canzine happens on October 21st at the AGO. That is a good way to come and meet us and say uh, books hi. Books are available at the Beguiling. Yes. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Uh, the Beguiling page and panel carrier books. Um, where else? Well, we also sell them online at the yeah. Store Envy. So readmorecomics.storeenvy.com. Yeah, I think Copacetic Comics uh, in 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 Pittsburgh just got a batch of comics from us. I think Desert Island in, in New York might have yeah, some. Happy Harbor in Edmonton. Yeah. Basically, every time we travel somewhere, we just try to plant seeds. Yeah. So you you just go into the comic shop and go, hey, do you want to carry our comic? Exactly. Pretty much. Nice, nice, Let's cool. How How's the how are the online sales going? I mean, you know. Yeah. They leave a lot to be desired, the, but that's fine. These are things that people need to discover and, and yeah. fall in love with. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. You know, but uh, we're on Instagram at Read More Comics. We're on Twitter at Read More Comics. We have a Tumblr, which we don't update very often anymore. 
also just look up read more comics we have a store envy yeah but we, we definitely try to be a presence at small press shows uh that's uh, i'm a fan of those i love going to tcap zine dream canzine and uh that's where i usually buy most of my books and so we're there now too right and this is good to connect with people there too face to face totally canzine mm. is awesome it's in the ago now it's mm. it's finally accessible yeah in an accessible location and uh you can check out the guillermo del toro exhibit yeah. while you're there yeah. so uh check it out cool you know it's it's the same day as the mississauga comic expo which is a bummer but which is a bummer but we're talking to these guys and you want to support their comics <laughs> so go to go to canzine and uh, and check it out yeah all right uh so i guess that's it thanks guys uh yeah. we'll see you next time on speech bubble this has been speech bubble see you in the future friends Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula at 6979 Young Street. They sell comics and games to bright and imaginative people like you. So go there for your comics fix and go there for their games nights that happen all week. Check harryt.com for the schedule and tell them Aaron sent you.